0: for joining me, Kieran Howells here, the Head of Content at HR Grapevine and also your podcast host for the day. I'm joined today by John Ryan, he's the CEO of Healthy Place to Work and he's no stranger to this podcast so it's fantastic to have him back. And what we're discussing is the idea of employer brand. We're taking a look at some of the most interesting recent cases of brands may be destroying their internal or external reputation and we're talking about some of the solutions to getting employer brand right. So I really really hope you enjoy this episode and let's dive in. So, John, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate your time here. First things first, it would be very interesting to know from you what you see as the key difference between corporate brand and employer brand.
1: Yeah, Kiran, it's good to be here today and thanks a million for the opportunity. I'd love to say, you know, the funny thing is those things were very separate uh, previously, But right now, they've kind of collapsed into one. So it it used to be the case that you could create this separate corporate identity and, and brand for your organization. And it was the, you know, whatever you said on your website that people went there to find out about you. But now we're living in a world where people hardly ever go to your website to find out about you because... That's kind of, you know, you telling the world what you'd like them to believe. But they go Mm -hmm. to social media to find out what are your employees actually saying? And with the likes of Glassdoor and the like. So the reality is that even though organizations would love to believe that they have some control over the brand of their organization, either the corporate brand or the employer brand, the truth is they're out of control. And If their brand isn't truly authentic, well, then people will actually see that and that will make it even worse. So if they're on their website purporting to be something and then the reality of that, that people are reading and seeing from employees or people who interact with the organization over social media they're going to really, really suffer because people hate that level of disconnect. So what people are looking for is authenticity. And I think that's the the really important word that hopefully people will take away from from this session today. The, The reality is you have to be honest about what, Uh, somebody is walking into as an employee. And this is really Mm -hmm. important because you know, um, an employee is sort of giving over some of their life to your organisation. You put forward what you're sort of saying the deal is going to be. And I know organisations work hard and HR departments work hard with, you know, EVPs, you know, employer value propositions to sort of say this is the deal basically that you're you're getting here. Um, And they have to live up to that deal and it has to be real, but it has to be honest because what we find is an awful lot of organisations put forward this kind of vanilla approach that aren't we wonderful in everything but that's not the reality certain organizations will suit certain people and so some people like chaotic environments some people don't some people like real predictability and the like so that's just one example that it's important to let people know what you are but the, the fundamental point is that the corporate band has really collapsed into the employer brand and the employer brand is the one that matters in the marketplace As you say, there's a very interesting
0: trend that's happening at the moment where ethics have become more important to everyone in the equation, haven't they? No no one wants to shop at a company or invest in a company where they know that people are being mistreated. And similarly, organizations who have historically not treated their people very well are now probably struggling to bring people on board and retain their top talent because they're not treating them well.
1: You know, the way they say the changes in your pocket, if you want to change something, you know, where you spend your money is, is going to matter. But but I think this is also giving people a bit of a problem because by actually using the products of an organization, are you endorsing the leadership and what that mm-hmm. leadership stands for and what that leadership does and how they treat their people? And even supply chain issues and the like, and because we're living in a world where obviously climate change has been huge and organizations are now been asked by employees not about how much am I going to get paid? That's kind of just a given and that's down the line. But it's like your corporate responsibility, like, you know, what are you doing about climate change? And that's a really different conversation that many employers (laughs) just weren't ready for. So they've had to get ready. So I think that idea of ethics is really, really important. If I work for an organization, my identity is actually highly correlated to the employer brand of that organization. And I have to be careful because that's uh, now, now in some cases, I, I think people actually let their identity be wrapped up in, you know, what they do. And I think that's very, very dangerous, because if you happen to lose your job, well, then many people feel they've lost their identity. So I think right. people have to be really, really careful about that and not to get wrapped up completely in the, pl- in the employer brand. But some people are very proud to be working for a particular organization with a particular brand and an image in the marketplace. And that's okay. That's good.
0: I I completely agree. Pinning your identity so vehemently on one particular company is not a healthy thing to do. However, having a standard uh, of ethics by which you live that you expect your employer to also adhere to is kind of the future of of people looking for jobs now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think people um, particularly want to look to an organisation that they can trust And um, that they believe um, when they say something, they're going to back it up and they're going Mm -hmm. to deliver. And that level of consistency is what they want to see. And the problem is when uh, suddenly something hits the media, which seems to be completely inconsistent with the employer brand and the corporate brand that the organization has put forward. And people start to say, hold on, this is a sham. This isn't reality. So maybe maybe I shouldn't actually go there to that organization because maybe that could damage me and maybe that could Mm -hmm. damage my personal brand. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's come into play nowadays that people recognize. Well, I have a personal brand I'm, you know, on my LinkedIn, I'm on my, you know, whatever, TikTok. And uh, I have a a brand and that can be damaged if I'm actually associating myself with a particular uh, employment brand or corporate brand
0: exactly yeah very very true so obviously we're going to dive into some of the companies who have maybe taken a hit in their employer brand over the last uh, year or, or two the first one that we're going to start with is probably the the, the easiest to identify on this list it's got to be twitter so what, what do you think john why why is twitter's employer brand so damaged these days here,
1: here i really wish um we were struggling to come up with candidates to discuss. Yeah. But the reality is, uh, the question is, which ones do you leave out? And So mm-hmm. so many companies over the last 12, 24 months have actually just had their employer brands uh, ripped up. Now, in some cases, by the way, the, the COVID and um, that uh, pandemic and the response organizations made has actually been really, really good for employer brands. And it, it gave um, some organizations a chance to show that they actually care for their people and and you know their health was number one priority to them but suddenly roll in twitter okay twitter to this point obviously the the whole social media space is a kind of a cool space and you know lots of people who work in social media companies they were treated very well they were paid quite well and in a lot of cases they got a bunch of benefits that they they loved right because a lot of these social media uh, giants had lots of money um and then suddenly we have Elon Musk coming in and and buying Twitter for 44 billion, which is just a crazy figure. And then mm-hmm. suddenly, if you're sort of in Twitter and you're going, okay, so the owner of Tesla is going to now suddenly come and be my my boss here. Yeah, that that's okay. And then suddenly he tries to pull out of the deal, and you're going, mm-hmm. oh, holy God. And in doing that, is actually undermining Twitter's users and everything about Twitter that it's built up. So that was kind of worrying from the start. But then when he comes in and decides that he's just going to fire people left, right and center, it is incredible. So people in HR can build an employer brand very carefully, you know, develop an EVP really carefully over. And then within seconds, Mm -hmm. a new leader comes in and can absolutely destroy it. Because they embody a little bit of the employer brand. And I think that, that's the case. Even, you know, obviously he called himself a chief twit. And I, that was sarcastic. But, I mean, it became to be a reality at the end of the day. And, and I, you know, that's one of the things that I'd say to leaders. Don't, don't be sarcastic because um, employees need to know what the story is. This is too, too serious when you're dealing with people's lives. And obviously there's lawsuits, as they call them in the States, all over the place, and in the UK, and in Ireland, because it was like as if, Elon Musk just had no idea of what employment law was in different territories and that you can't just go in and treat people in that disgraceful way. And even then, on top of that, apart from just, you know, getting rid of um, people, it was kind of very, very Trump-like, the way Trump, if anybody disagreed with him, he'd, he'd just fire them. And that yeah. that's obviously this part of the world, that's slightly different in terms of the laws around that, thank heavens. But then you see even uh, the ultimatum that um, Elon Musk gave to Staff. It was this idea of, you know, if you're willing to work an intense regime, it's like, are we gone back to the 1930s or the like? It was incredible. Yeah. An email actually was headed a, a fork in the road. And the reality is a lot of employees actually told him that he could fork off. I think it is, <laughs> is the truth. And it, it just, you know, the, the the level of disrespect for people that uh, he showed, it actually reminded me, I don't know if you remember better.com, but the CEO that going on to Zoom and mm-hmm. actually firing employees over Zoom. It was incredible just to watch this. and And when you then on the other side, see organizations who get it right. And I think. You know, Stripe, the Collison brothers, uh, they also had to um, reduce their workforce like a lot of organizations right now. And you actually can see in the email communications on my LinkedIn if anybody wants to see it. But the, the level of empathy, the support, the caring, the the, the reasons why they had to do it, You could see it was like they, this was killing them. And they weren't just seeing employees as disposable resources. And that's honestly the way it was for, for Twitter and Elon Musk. Yeah. It was just it really, really scary to watch that disaster unfolding. So another
0: interesting case to discuss is Goldman Sachs. Obviously, when coronavirus happened, lots and lots of companies discovered that actually trusting their staff to work remotely, if that was the best place for them, um, was was a really great way of keeping people's well-being in mind and giving them a bit more work-life balance in this horrific time in in history one of the few positives to come out of it was the fact that we realized on a global scale that work didn't just happen to happen in a very structured nine-to-five setting inside an office, which actually doesn't work for a lot of people, you know, neurodiverse people, people with physical disabilities, and just people who find that the, the, the calm that they get from home is actually, you know, helps them be productive. So Goldman Sachs obviously kind of went against this. Uh, do you remember this case, John? Or yeah, I do. I mean,
1: it's just interesting because, look, for for years, many employees had been asking their employers, can I have a bit of flexibility with regard to how I do my work, where I do my work, when I do my work? And and the, the answer coming back from most was, ah, you know, something, yeah, we'd love to, but we can't. It's just, you know, it's too awkward, too difficult. Uh, we can't really make it happen. And then suddenly the pandemic came along and they're going, oh, here, listen, will you all work from home, please? And suddenly everybody is able to do it. And uh, the organizations were able to suddenly turn around and do things that they never thought they'd be able to do. And then the question was, do you really trust your employees or do you need them right in front of you so you can, like, stand yes. over them and watch them and micromanage them? And the reality was, hey, look at this. <laughs> actually, people can be trusted. They actually don't, you know, hate work. Hey, work is actually something that they kind of like doing. And and for many people during the pandemic, they really missed work and workplace yes. So it's interesting, you know, this this idea that um, work doesn't have to be a place you go, but it's a thing you do. And it's a very social thing, too. And I was talking to people and doing some research about friends. And uh, just talking about your social network and the like, and it's very difficult to create a social network if you're working from home, by the way, uh, but it's much more likely that you're going to share your concerns in life if you're going in and meeting people in a workplace every single day. OK, so that, that's one. So like there's a workplace is still, I think, a, a brilliant thing and a place to go. I don't think it's completely healthy for people to be isolated and working at home all of the time. So some balance in this. However, I think, you know, some people were fast out of the blocks when the pandemic started to recede. And David Solomon from uh, Goldman Sachs was one of the first to sort of say, hey, forget all this sort of, you know, staying at home. I want you back in the office because that's where work gets done. And it was a really a, a sense of, whoa, Goldman Sachs. I thought maybe you'd be leading on on, mm-hmm. on this. But but this is your view that the only place you can actually work effectively is, is in an office. And. So the reality is that that as this has played out, I think most organizations have recognized that, you know, there's a balance piece here there's a time when it's good to be in the office and come together and there's also flexibility and as, as you said I mean like the, the biggest play this has meant uh, is for uh, people with disabilities who really had no choice and and this has opened up uh, for those also the the combination of the fact that there was a crisis in terms of trying to get talent into organizations meant that organizations had to turn around and be much more flexible and look for a much more global uh, talent pool and that was important and, and you know we uh, interviewed concentrics recently, and they were telling us that when they advertise a job that has remote and hybrid and flexibility as part of it, they get eight times the amount of candidates applying for that role. So it wow. just became a really, really important aspect of um, you know an organisation actually trying to get talent in through the door. But this was also uh, for Goldman Sachs that, that that now is the image is a little bit of an old style you know organisation that's very sort of you know controlling a little bit. Now yeah. I now I know, I know um, it, it has played out slightly differently. I mean they, they're now saying um, sixty five percent of the staff are back working in the office five days a week and so there's obviously a a significant amount of the staff who actually can uh, take up that flexible option and the like what we are seeing across the world by the way just an interesting thing here is the, the results of our survey are coming back to tell us that there's a bit of a tension between uh, the people who can work remotely and those who are forced to stay in an office. Of course, and those yeah. people in the office are feeling very left out. They believe, mm-hmm. actually, maybe I should be paid more because I'm I'm having to, you know, fund myself getting to work. I'm That's my time, too. Now, on the other side, there's a decompression, by the way, from commuting that can be quite good, too. So there's nothing hard and fast here. But I suppose Goldman Sachs were the first out of the blocks to sort of say, back to the office and i think their brand has probably been damaged significantly uh, by that the the other thing that uh, in the last sort of um well, i mean this is going on a lot longer but i suppose it's it's come to four in the last little while is the four-day week mm. and you know organizations putting this forward now and, and trialing it and seeing is is that something that is a way to go here and um It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I know I was in Denmark a couple of years ago and I interviewed an organization who did that four day week uh, really successfully. But what they did was completely change how they worked. And um, we'll we'll do another podcast on that sometime soon, I hope, because it's it's really brilliant when uh, you see it in action. But it means that you change completely how you do what you do and when you do it. Um, But, yeah, so Goldman Sachs, with regard to the um, remote working and the like, I think they have a bit of uh, work to do uh, to be seen as an employer of choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting you should mention the four-day week because um, it's so fascinating that within that initiative, we are where we were with remote working or flexible working maybe a decade or two ago, where some companies are giving it a go and, you know, trialing it and seeing how people respond to it. But we have this knee-jerk reaction, as we did with remote working, which is, I think, Goldman Sachs's key problem. That oh, it's just not feasible. Whereas, mm-hmm. as you say, it's it's very feasible in certain circumstances, but it takes a, it takes revising how you think about the time that we spend working.
1: The big thing here to me, Karen, is uh, the flexibility around the employee. Many organisations, it's just hard. And so they don't want to do it. So they sort of say, hey, come on in nine to five. We keep the lights on. We do all this. We have a whole system mm-hmm. around providing this. So we need you to come to this building. We need you to do it at these hours. And we need you to wear this type of clothes. <laughs> and like, right, yeah. And the reality is the world has changed. And people now, you know, I mean, like, I don't know when the last time people maybe wore ties. The tie industry must be sort of really suffering. Now, by the way, I think there's going there's going to be a, a comeback on that one. I think you'll probably see the standards of dress uh, change because obviously hoodies must have sold particularly well over the last uh, couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all those standards and and the like, I mean, that 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 trend is is going to change. So, but but the big thing, the organisations who are winning are the ones who can actually allow people uh, build their work around the, their lives, you know, and not build their lives around their work. And that mm-hmm. that level of flexibility and being able to job craft has been a critical factor on the employers who have a brilliant employer brand.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think next one of the, not necessarily an organisation, but a key issue that we really should discuss. We've kind of gone through the, the concept of psychological safety, mental health and wellbeing, flexibility in terms of when and where we work. But a key issue is actually physical safety. And of course, one of the absolute devastating cases that we've seen recently is the construction of the the world cup facilities obviously many workers were not safe and unfortunately we we heard about some deaths in the process
1: it comes down to it, the the basic thing about being able to leave your home in the morning and have a pretty high percentage chance that you're going to come home in the evening Um is is something that is not a given for for many people and obviously the the workers in the world who are migrant workers in a lot of cases, they don't have the supports, and in a lot of cases, maybe they're illegal workers and the like. And I think this came to the fore in uh, Qatar with the um, the the building of the stadia around uh, the World Cup. And I know there was a, a ton of reports. Obviously, Amnesty had a, a, a report, the Reality Check in 2021, say, saying that the practices such as withholding salaries charging workers to change jobs, (laughs) that these were actually really rife. And I know The Guardian had reported last year uh, at least six and a half thousand migrant workers, many of them working on the World Cup projects, not not exclusively on the World Cup projects, but had died in in Qatar since it won the, the right to stage that World Cup. And like it's just I mean, when you think of that figure, The amount of death and destruction that has actually happened. Now, thankfully, I think a lot of work has been done by Qatar to try and bring up the the standards in terms of these things. But talk about having a long way to go. And I know lots of countries, including England and Germany, you know, wrote even open letters to uh, FIFA to try and get them to, you know, take action to improve the rights of uh, migrant workers. And I know some funding went their way too. But it's just that 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 physical piece that you really need to believe. And I know the standards of if if you look at the the deaths that happen across the the globe, uh, you know, a lot of industries like mining industries, the Mm -hmm. standards that we just take for granted in this part of the world are simply not in place and people Mm -hmm. are treated just terribly. So in, in terms of if, you know, countries actually have employer brands I think Qatar has a lot of work to do to kind of show that the, the standards are there, the safety is there and that people can expect to be able to come home after a day's work, which is just so important.
0: Absolutely. And and that actually brings us quite nicely on to probably our final company or set of companies, actually, who who maybe present something a little bit promising. We're talking about Revolut, but also to an extent Brewdog as well. And these are two companies who have identified that there is definitely some toxicity in their culture, that their employer brand, their internal brand have taken a serious hit by not living up to the standards that you would expect from a modern workplace or a progressive workplace. And these are companies who have done things about it. So Revolut is a perfect example of this. Uh, recently, in fact, as, as recent as this week, I believe Revolut announced that they were building a, a very targeted internal team specifically aimed at rooting out, um, toxic culture within the organization they basically have employed psychologists and uh, and analysts to make sure that, well, in their own words, people are being inclusive, approachable, and that managers are being open and genuinely interested in their colleagues. And this comes after some revolute staff said that there was accusations of bullying inside the company. And, you know, th- th- they were very much guilty, I think, of this startup e culture where you're expected to work long hours very hard to kind of reach a goal that people aren't willing to tolerate really anymore. But what's interesting about this case, John, is that perhaps they're jumping the gun a little bit. So we talked earlier about the fact that it's very difficult to cultivate an internal and external employer brand uh, to, to gain that investment to people. And it's very, very easy to lose it. And actually, I think this case with Revolut will show ultimately, although it's only just been announced, that it takes a very long time to build it back up again because you're working in negative equity in terms of the investment that you have from your people. And that actually just taking this approach of we're creating this team and it's going to root out all the problems and it's all going to go away you're not accepting that actually you're starting from a negative place and that you need your people on board for that to to start that journey again
1: yeah i mean so if you do find yourself taking over an organization that has a toxic culture, you know, the question is, where do you start? And I think you start by sitting down and talking to everybody just to get a baseline exactly where it is, what are the acceptable behaviors in the organization? Because that's, that's really important because it's all about culture. And, mm-hmm. and if you need to reset the culture, you need to articulate what that culture needs to be. And everybody needs to understand that deeply because we go into many organisations and we, we ask that question, like, what's the culture? And some people don't even know what you're talking about when you're using terms of that. But you're sort of saying like, OK, to tell me, uh, how does work get done around here? You know, what are the unwritten rules in this organisation? What are the things that if I do, somebody will tap me on the shoulder and go, actually, you know something, we don't do it like that around here. That's culture. Mm-hmm. And you need to sort of turn around and say, this is the culture that we want to create, right? And it has to be supported by values. And, you know, values kind of get the, this bad name, like because, you know, somebody in a PR department came up with them and put them on the wall and everybody's supposed to buy into them, but nobody does. And oftentimes what we see is the organization, the the, the values don't relate to how the organization is running. A, a classic example of this would be where... Um, An organization actually turns around and says, oh, we're all about teamwork. And then you say, well, show me your uh, performance appraisal system and show me uh, your reward and recognition. And then you see that the reward and recognition is all about bonuses for individual performance. And you're sort of saying, so here you're telling people, you know, you get on in this organization and you make money if you are very individualistic in how you do it. But organizationally, you're saying it's all about teamwork. So those things, there's a disconnect. So you have to mm-hmm. make sure that the uh, the values are authentic and they're real and people are bought into them and they're lived and they're knitted into every single practice and policy of the organization. And then you have to understand what are the behaviors that I'm willing to accept? Because the, as they say, the, the, the lowest behavior and the worst behavior you're willing to accept is your culture. Right. Uh, that's, that's where it is, basically. And then you have to sort of say, well, what practices can we put in place to reassert that level of you know belief in this culture as being the one? And are we willing to make those tough decisions when a brilliant performer who has broken all the rules and who is maybe you know, bullied people. When you turn around and say, look, you're brilliant at what you do. But unfortunately, if you do that one more time, you're gone out of this organisation. It doesn't matter how good an employee you are. So this isn't, you know, tick box stuff. This isn't superficial. This is in-depth and it has to be authentic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that actually is why i briefly mentioned their brew dog that's why i bring them up because actually there is signs that a company that have previously been known for having not the greatest internal culture that there are signs that they have gone back to their people and actually assessed The needs of their people and that the start of their process of kind of regaining the investment of their people started at that point actually going and listening and hearing what they had to say and i think that's a very different approach to just going we're going to hire all these impressive people to come in and assess what's gone wrong they just said well we'll just go and speak to people and see what they have to say about it And uh, they've made changes based on that. So it is promising. I think it's promising to see organizations accept where they've gone wrong. But that that approach that you take from then on in has to be all about the people, if it's the if it's the investment of the people that you've lost in the first place.
1: Let's, uh, you know, just my final point on this would be um, there's the kind of sense that, oh, sure, isn't it common sense how to run a company? You just bring a bunch of people together with different personalities, different aspirations, different everything and expect them all to get on brilliantly and uh, we achieve our goals. It's really tough. Right. And every single day you've got a bunch of individuals who are coming together to actually try and achieve something special. That takes such skill to actually make sure that you're actually creating an environment that people feel psychologically safe, that they can be, you know, uh, mentally fit and well. And overall, that they can be healthy at the end of the day, because for us, um, our belief is that everything comes down to health. Um, if I'm unhealthy, there's a reason it normally plays back on my role and my job if it's not something personal. And if I'm really healthy, it makes such a difference to my performance. And that is uh, this virtuous circle that I feel good about myself and I perform well. For us, being able to manage the health of your workforce, that tells you so much about where you are as an employer and whether or not you're going to be able to create a resilient, sustainable, high performing organization. Because at the end of the day, that's what we all want there you
0: have it. We've gone through several of of the key cases of the last year. We've had some really good conversation about what bad looks like, but also there some some key fundamentals for what good looks like as well. Thank you so much, John, for your time.
1: Uh, it's been pleasure. fantastic
0: to talk to you about this.
1: Great. Thanks, Kieran.
0: Well, there you have it. What a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much to John for being a guest today and to our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us. And we really look forward to seeing you again next week.